Welcome to the Goldilocks Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Dominic J. Ambrose. Please enjoy this next interview. If you'd like to be a sponsor on our podcast, please contact us at GoldilocksLLC at gmail.com. That's Goldilocks spelled as in goals that you set, the letter D, locks, LLC at gmail.com. If you are interested in being a sponsor on our show. Now back to the episode. Please enjoy. Okay, welcome again. We have the Goldilocks podcast presented to you to me by your host, um, Dominic Ambrose. Today, we are introducing Dr. Kafila Malik. I want to welcome everyone to the Golden Lost Podcast, where we are unlabeled. Unlabeled is a place for parents of disabled who read all the fables of what their kids will or will not be able to do. Our goal is to fight to make everything just right. This is the Goldilocks Podcast, and this is episode four. We are introducing Dr. Kafila Malik, trained educator with a background in schools as prestigious as Howard and Harvard University. She's the mother of an eight-year-old son with Asperger's. She's born and raised in D.C., COVID has brought her back from Africa and Sudan, where she intended to reside permanently, but she currently lives in Houston, Texas. Please welcome Dr. Kafila Malik to the podcast. Hello, Kafila, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your wisdom and your kind words. And of course, being a mother of a son with um, Asperger's or Autism Spectrum Disorder, as more commonly known, um, we'd love to hear the stories of all the people, especially in our Black community and what they're dealing with. So. If you'd like to just generally introduce us to um, what it is that you feel like you'd like to contribute to today and um, just general feelings about what it is that you have gone through raising a son with Asperger's. Well, I think um, one of the things that is very um, prevalent is that as parents of autistic children or children on the spectrum, oftentimes we feel that we can't say that we're tired or that we wanna give up or that, um, I, I just want to quit. And I, I really want to talk about how those are real emotions and it's okay to feel that way. Um, we always get the other side, oh, God has blessed me with this wonderful child. But the reality <laughs> is for African-American parents, for some of us, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a real struggle. I mean, I've dealt with um, my son fighting me. I've dealt with wanting to put him up for adoption. Um, him running away, him having to be restrained. And I think those are are real things that we often don't talk about because we don't want to be labeled as a bad parent, if you will. Um, And so for me, I I just want to speak the truth and just walk in my truth. Um, As a mother of an autistic little boy, it's a struggle and it's real because it doesn't get any better as they get older. It just simply means that, you know, you have to probably endure a little bit more patience or have a little bit more patience and really try to get the therapy that's needed to help you understand what's going on with your kid. And so it's, um, it's been hard because I'm a single mom mm. boy. and um, at, he was diagnosed at three with sensory processing disorder. And with the sensory processing disorder, he was sensitive to things like the sound of the fire truck and then the flushing of the toilet, any loud noises. And then as he got older, um, I was able to get an official diagnosis, which was Asperger's because, you know, he would line up things like his, line up all his dinosaurs, line up all his trucks, 
He would do things that are traits of autistic children. The difference with my son is that, um, and I don't like to use this term because I think when you talk about the spectrum, it's all kids. But my son was labeled as high function. Yeah. Very, um, very bright, but he's socially in inadequate. He just doesn't get certain social cues, jokes, um, very super sensitive. Um, I have to have a special diet for him. He just doesn't eat. So it's, it's a lot of things that you deal with when you're talking about a child that has special needs. And so um, we're still here. We're still plugging away. And every day it's a, it, it's a challenge. And every day it's, a, um, it's an opportunity to learn something about myself because I truly believe that it's not about the child. It's about who you are and understanding who you are in relationship to the child. Because mm -hmm. we want to say, well, you know, my child is autistic and my child is this and, you know, this, this, this. It's not about the child. It's about you and how you handle it and how you are able to humble yourself. Because it's a humbling experience to have a child that is um, on the spectrum, a child that has any type of disability. It's a humbling experience because it requires you to really reach deep down inside of yourself and try to figure out, okay, how can I be the best parent? to this child and how can I also feel that it's okay that I, some days I just want to quit? Because I'm on both sides. Some days I want to be the best parent to my kid. And then some days I'm like, you know what? And I'm keeping it 100. I'm giving this child up for adoption. I can't handle this. This is just too much for me. Mm -hmm. And that's just being honest. And I think for me, that that is my truth. And as a matter of fact, I'm working with a group of ladies. We're writing a book talking about our truths, about how difficult it is to raise children that are on the spectrum or raise children in general with, uh, as a single mom um, that has any type of disability. Um, because it's very, you know, and I'm not trying to slight my white sisters, but it's very different for them than it is for us. Because number one, they have access to the resources earlier than we have access to. 100%. And so, um, and, I, and I had to learn that I, I just happened to be at the time when my son was diagnosed, I was living in Denver, Colorado, and the population of African-Americans or people of color is very small. And I just happened to be hanging out in a park with a woman and she was talking about autism. And I was like, oh yeah, my son was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. And from that conversation, I learned about parent advocacy groups. I learned about respite programs, <coughs> excuse me. I learned about animal therapy, all kinds of things that I could do for my son to help him cope. Whereas normally that information is just not, you know, given to us, we have to really seek it out. And once I began to discover the resources that were available for my son, I began to share that with other mothers that had kids that were on the spectrum. Because I think it's important that once you get that information that you share it with others that are struggling as well. Yeah, and your, your, your story, the way you started it out is so real. And I appreciate that because I think this flowery image of parenting is what makes it so difficult to raise a child with special needs because you're, like you said, you're not allowed to be real and be like, yo, this ain't fun for me on the daily. I don't come home with a kid that's like, mommy, how was your day? Daddy, how was your day? Like, big hugs and stuff like that. Like all that stuff you have to constantly remind yourself not to expect because of exactly what it is that your child deals with. And usually that the social aspect is the biggest part. That's the hardest thing to deal with because 
we as the parents, we want to be social with our kids. We want to hug them. We want to love them. We want to show them off places. We want to in, put them in a bunch of activities. What we went through as kids, of course, and in the African-American community, we always want to party. We always want to get together. We want to do stuff with each other. So when something's holding you back from doing that with your full heart and full effort, and it happens to be your child, that sucks. And, and I know for sure a lot of people feel the way that you feel. I know I felt that personally. So I'd like you to expound on that. Talk a little bit more about this group that you have, because I think that is important that you have a circle of moms that also have something to share with you. Because unfortunately, the circles with, that you have when you have a kid with special needs are very small. You can only let certain people in. Some people just don't get it. Some people are yes. ignorant. So yes. talk a little bit more about your group, how you met them and what it is you guys are trying to do. So what I, um, what I decided to do was to start um, my own little company, if you will, called um, I Choose Me, because it's kind of like the scenario, like when you get on the plane, the, the stewardess tells you to put your mask on first before you put your child's mask on. And it's a reason why they say that, because if you put your child's mask on first, more than likely you're not gonna be able to survive to help your kid. And so I've created this organization called I Choose Me, and it's about self-care. And my stance is that if you don't take care of yourself first, there is no way. And when I mean take care, I mean physically, mentally, socially, psychologically, um, if you need counseling, whatever the case, if you don't take care of yourself first, there is no way you can take care of child with special needs. And so it's a group of women that I invited to be a part of this book study that I'm doing. And I'm writing a book that talks about the reality of being a single mom or just being a parent with an autistic child and how, how you feel. Like one mom, you know, she talked about just wanting to give up. I talked about, you know, um, one night having to call the police on my, at the time my son was six. And you know how that is in a black community when you're talking about African-American males or just people of color in general calling the cops. And I, I had hesitation, but I needed to do that in order for him to be restrained and bring him back to baseline. And that, it broke my heart, but it was like a reality. And I'm just like, what am I gonna do with this boy? And I just think that sometimes, I don't think, I know that sometimes we are, we are afraid to share that because we don't want people to look at us in a way that says, you know, we, you're either a bad parent or, you know, maybe you did something wrong um, when you were carrying the child. And I share a story with you. Um, I went to the church and this is no disparagement on the church. I went to the church and I was like, I, 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 I need help. I don't really know what to do. And I remember one of the deaconess, she put some oil on my son and she put her hand on his forehead and she was out, out demon, out demon. And I'm standing there bawling because I, I, I just didn't know what to do. And he's screaming and yellow. And then when he finally came back to baseline, she was like, you're gonna just have to pray over him more because he got that demon and that demon is deep. And I remember distinctly saying to myself after leaving that church, I will never go back again. And I need to do more research around autism. Family. My family would laugh at my son. They turned their back on me. They didn't help with my son. It was like this, it's like you are in a, a cocoon by yourself. And you have to basically try to find the supports that you need in order to survive. And so as a result, I said, let me reach out to some sisters to find out if they are experiencing some of the same things that I'm experiencing, trying to raise their kids, trying to um, 
stay mentally sane while raising their kids. And luckily, um, I got about 10 women that have agreed to be a part of the book study. And I really want them to tell their stories and to share their truth because you can't heal. You can't keep putting a Band-Aid on the wound. You got to take the Band-Aid off in order for it to heal. And so that's what, I'm, what, that's what I uh, decided to do with these sisters. It's like, let's talk about the reality of being a mother or a parent of a child with disabilities and how you feel. And let's talk about what we need to do collectively to heal ourselves. Because sometimes it's like, once you put that kid down, pouring yourself a glass of red wine, put some bubble bath in that tub, sit in that tub and drink that wine and say, thank you, Jesus, because that child is asleep or whatever the case may be. And then when you get somebody, to, it's, like, it's always that thank you moment because you need that moment to recharge. Because yeah. it's very, it's it's hard. It's it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a ton of work. And um, when it comes to you, you mentioned your family, which is which is uh, one of the big questions I ask about um, to people um, dealing with their their certain situations. Because in our culture, family is huge. Family is a big part of our culture and a big part of our identity. Generally speaking, when it comes to the black culture, so you, you spoke about your family feeling like they turned their back and that they felt like just dismissive of him. Right. Like, tell us how that made you feel in those moments. And, and, uh -huh. and if there was someone in particular that you expected to do more that let you down, that you were just like, et tu, Brutus, et tu? I, I thought you would understand. Like, I, it was I, something. Yeah, I think because, um, I think because autism is, if you will, and I'm, I don't have any research to back this up, but I'm going to say that I think it's because it's relatively new in the black community. Now, you know, mm -hmm. we dealt with ADHD and you know all those other things, but autism was something that was very different when it came to the African-American community because we're like, what is that? Because the first reaction is you just need to beat that child or, or, or to tell that child to go sit down somewhere, you know? And so when you see a child acting, you're like, what, you know, what's wrong with that kid? It's a so reflection on the parent, yeah. Right, it's a reflection on the parent. And so when my son would have these episodes where he would just fall out because he didn't understand, you need to beat him, you need. And so my family never really took the initiative to say, what's going on with him? How can we help you? What, you know, you know, they just basically didn't help, be it financially, be it giving me a break when I needed a break, emotionally, if anything, it was kind of like, and I hate to say this, but it's very true. It was kind of like, you got all this education, you deal with it. That, that mm. was the approach. It was like, well, you the educator. And it was, it was hurtful because I had expected my brothers to, you know, take him under this, take him under, um, their my son under their wing and, you know, try to work with him and try to understand him. Because when his father found out, my son's father found out he had autism, his response was good luck with that. He didn't, he didn't want to be bothered. So that left me with trying to put male mentors in his life so that he could develop that bond that he needed as a young boy. And none of my brothers did that. None of them. They just, they just didn't want to, they, it was either like, well, I got my own family or I ain't got time for that. Um, my sisters or my sister, she finally came around. She began to understand. She said, I, she basically said, I had to go read some things about autism because I didn't know what it was. You know, I had a niece that finally said, oh, you know, I know a neighbor that has an autistic son and I had to read. So it was, it, it took some, 
education for my family, but they still are not there because my brother still does not inter interact with his nephew. He still doesn't say, hey, sis, let me come get him and just take him, let him hang out with my son. So it's that it's still just me and my son just trying to do it on our own. Still not that family support that I need. Mm. Yeah, so it's hard in that sense. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I, I know personally, I have felt that sense of abandonment as well when it comes to my brothers, when it comes to feeling that type of, you know, support to understand that, you know, I need you right now. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it, even if it's not with him, like, even if you want to feel like, okay, I don't understand that, but you seem like you're going through it. So let me know if you, if you're free so I could take you out and get your mind off or whatever, exactly. something like that. Right. Like that would be just the, the slightest thing to show you that. All right. You know, maybe I'm, I'm alone when it comes to this, but I'm not alone period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely understand that. Now, you mentioned your husband or your the, the father of your child decided that he didn't want nothing to do with this. That that breaks my heart. Yeah, he was like, I'm done. I'm done. Are you good luck with that. His exact words was like, good luck. And you know, it's I understand that um for some men, when it comes to a male child, just a child in general, they want a healthy child. And if it's a you know, if it's a male child, they want that child to be able to maybe play basketball or football and, you know, I, I get that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can't really speak on what he felt or how he was thinking. All I know is that he's not present and he hasn't been present since the child was born. When my son was diagnosed, he was like, mm, done, I'm done, no, I'm out. And that's very hard for my son because that impacts his social and his emotional well-being because his thought process is, my father doesn't love me. Mm. And, th and that's hard. And so what I try to do is like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't say that. I would just say that he's just not ready yet. He's just not there yet. He doesn't understand. Because one thing I'm not going to do is that I'm not going to bash his father because I want to him at some point to have a relationship with his father. But I also want it to be a point where my son will say, why weren't you there? Because I don't want to have him, I don't want him to say, well, my mommy said this. No, no, no. I want him to see it for himself. And when he becomes old, to be able to say, I need to go confront my father and ask him a couple of questions. And so that's why I don't, I don't say anything negative because I want to give my son the opportunity to confront his son, confront his father when he's older. Yeah, and not for nothing, you probably got enough on your plate rather than oh. now downloading all of your animosity and all that stuff into your child who also has enough on his plate. So I think that's a wise move to avoid lambasting the father of your son, yes. considering everything else that you guys are dealing with. Yeah. And then, you know, the other part of this is when we talk about COVID-19 is the struggle for children with disabilities to do this online learning. Mm -hmm. because, um, Speak on it. My son don't want to have nothing to do with this. Now he will play with his video game. He'll do that, but this this sitting at a computer all day, it's 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 not what he wants to do. And and so for me, um, I don't force it. My biggest thing and my biggest prayer was just like, I want him to be able to read. If he can read, then I'm okay. And now that he can read, I'm like, because I, I explained to them, if you can't read, baby boy, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be able to count your money, read a contract, do anything. And so now that he is reading and he reads well and has an extensive vocabulary, I have a peace of mind. 
So I know that with the reading, at some point we can do some other things to catch up in some other areas. But this online doesn't work because it doesn't provide him with um, structure. The, 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 so, the social, because he still needs you know, um, therapy and all those other things. And you can't do that online. It, it, the kid needs some interaction. And so I'm struggling with, you know, what am I going to do? Because we, um, at some point we'll be leaving um, Texas because I need to be in a place that will be able to provide him with better services. And so I'm just trying to figure out where and how, and if I'm going to send him back to school and, and to what degree will he be back in school? Because he wants to go. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want to just sit at home all day. Yeah, I mean, most kids don't. A lot of the kids I've been seeing, and I and I see a couple of kids every now and then, and I ask them, like, you liking being at home? They're like, no, I want to go back to school. Like, it's funny. You, the grass is always greener, ain't it? <laughs> Even for the kids. Yeah, but um, I, I hear you when it comes to services. We actually had another interviewee who was from Texas as well and struggled with the services down in Texas. I know that when it comes to the East Coast, they are generally considered to be on top of things. I know we're, we're based in Jersey. Jersey oh. has a lot of services here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when before COVID, and I, I'm curious, while you guys were living in Africa, how long were you there? Was he getting services there too? We were there for um, almost a year because we, I, we were evacuated out the end of April 1st of May when the airports opened back up. He was not getting the services that he needed. So it, let me put it this way. Um, it was not the first time my son was in Africa. We went on safari to South Africa when he was um, about six. He's eight now. When my son was um, five, we made an agreement that we would not buy toys over the Christmas holidays because it was just a waste of money. And so what we did was we bought a calendar from Amazon, a scratch off calendar. I put it on the wall and this is when I was able to work somewhat. So I put it on the wall and I said, oh, my son's name is Johans. I said, okay, Johans, you identify the place that you wanna go and mommy will work to get the money and we'll go. So between November and January 5th is when we would, Thanksgiving break to you know Christmas, we would travel. Um, I asked my son, because I'm very much like, what do you want to do? I say, okay, Johans, um, do you want to go to Africa? Would you like to live in Sudan? So he said, yes, mommy, let's go. Let's look, let's look it up and see what's going on. We went to Sudan. It wasn't that Sudan was, the school was a bad school because it's an American embassy school. Sudan is a very um, difficult environment to live in, in terms of climate. Number one, it's a desert. So it's very, very, very hot. My son has extremely um, dry skin and eczema. So number one, so he struggled. And then there were lots of flies. My son had never seen a fly before prior to going to, um, I'm serious. Prior to going to um, Sudan, we lived in Denver, Colorado. The altitude is so high. And so there were very little, if any, flies. So his first experience with a fly, he flipped out people thought something was wrong with him. He was like, what is that? Because it kept buzzing all around him. And then when you are got sensory issues, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. um, it was just that, it was just the environment. It was just the food, the heat. Um, it was not exact, it wasn't a green, a lot of green space. Um, the technology was not all that great. The internet would often go out. 
Um, so we struggled. We struggled. And so what I ended up doing is hiring, um, what they call him a paraprofessional to come to the house and work with him because he could not, he could not, and it was an outdoor school where you would come out of one building and come out of one door and go into the another. And you're talking about 110, 108 degrees, that's hot. And he was just like, it's too hot out here. I can't do this. <laughs> and, so every, and I was a teacher. I took a role as a teacher. So every day he was running to my classroom. Mommy, the teacher said this and mommy, the and the unfortunate thing is that the teachers were not trained in Sudan to deal with autistic children. Yeah. They, they had no clue. It was just, they were just clueless. They were just, you know, and then not only were they not trained, they were not tapping into his gifts. They were not able to say, oh, this kid is very verbal. He has an extensive vocabulary. We need to do this, or we need to make sure that we explain this, or we need to make sure that he comes back to baseline. They, they, they just didn't have it. And it's, it's no fault of their own. It's just simply that in certain cultures, they don't know what autism is. They don't know how to deal with it. They think that the that, that it's a bad seed. All, all of that foolishness that you know we sometimes experience. And so overall, it was an interesting experience for him, but it was not an it was not it would not be a place that we would go back to. Now when we went to South Africa, he loved it. He loved it. Um, so we um, I introduced, I want to backtrack, I introduced my son to traveling. Because I heard someone say that the only way that I'm going to help my son get over things like fire trucks, the flushing of toilets, <coughs> excuse me, is to expose him more. Mm -hmm. So we traveled and we traveled and we traveled and get on a plane. He's screaming, having a meltdown. I'm like, I, I, at that point, I didn't even care. Oh, well, you know, I put some earbuds in. They helped. Sometimes they didn't. Now he expects it. Now he's like, okay, mommy, I got to put some earbuds in. I got to chew my gum. I have some noise canceling headphones that I put on him when we travel. Um, and now he's perfect. It's like, it's a breeze now. <laughs> Initially, when we would go through TSA, he would flip out. I lied to you now, brother. Sometimes I would sit in the middle of the floor in the airport for 45 minutes trying to calm this child because they touching him, you know, kids, they touching him, they taking this tablet. You know, all this, and he would just, and then all the noise and the people, and I would just sit there and I'm just rocking. People walking by, people looking, shaking their heads, making comments. I just keep rocking my baby. It's going to be all right, son. It's going to be all right. 45 minutes, and I intentionally would get to the airport <coughs> at least three hours in advance, just in case he had a, a colostrum meltdown. I had to learn things like don't give him no sugar. Don't give him anything that would alter his mood. And so he would, I'd make sure that he get a sturdy meal, a sturdy breakfast. He'll have some apple juice. We'll get on the plane. He may have some popcorn. Make sure his tablet was loaded up with all his movies and stuff that he liked, his earbuds, his music, his, his little phone, his little video. And we get on that plane and we go. <coughs> excuse me, Sophia, can you give me some water? I'm sorry, excuse me. Mm -hmm. The water, I mean, Naya. And we would get on the plane and we go. Um, my son has had the privilege to, to travel to about six countries. That's amazing. Yeah, we, um, 
his first experience was he swam with the dolphins in the Bahamas when he was five. So can you give me a minute? I need to get some water. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, travel to a lot of places. And that's what I was telling the, the autistic mom group. I was saying, just because, just because you have an autistic child or a child with special needs doesn't mean that you can't travel. You just have to do the work to prepare them. And that's what I would do with my son. I would prepare him. We would talk about it months in advance. We would get on Google and look at um, stuff on Google. We get on YouTube videos. We would do a lot of things to prep him for um, traveling. So like I said, his first trip was to the Bahamas. His second trip was to South Africa. We were in South Africa for two weeks on safari. Um, and then we had the opportunity to do things like Legoland and some other places. And then when we went to Sudan, um, during the Christmas holidays, I took my son to Dubai, to Singapore, to the Red Sea in Egypt. We went to Malaysia and he loved it. And so he now knows like, okay, holidays, we travel. And then when COVID hit, it was a wrap. We couldn't go anywhere because right at, right at the time that COVID hit in, in January, we were scheduled to go to Tokyo, Japan in March. Wow. By the time March hit and Sudan, Sudan had started shutting things down because they, their numbers were starting growing. And I was told my son, I said, it didn't look like we're going to uh, be able to go to Tokyo. And we stayed in, in Sudan until they evacuated us out. And here we are now. And so what, I, what I've done, and I'm not saying that this is the remedy for every mom, but with my son, because he has the sensory and then with the sensory, the ADHD, and then the Asperger's, I just expose, 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 talk to him about it and really don't care what people think or what people say as I'm, when he has an episode in the airport. You're now about to listen to part two of the Goldilocks podcast episode. If you'd like to be a sponsor, please send an email to GoldilocksLLC at gmail.com. That's goal as in setting goals, D, the letter, locks, LLC at gmail.com if you're interested in being a sponsor. Now back to the podcast. That, that is actually really effective. I know I employed a similar tactic with my son when he was very young, he used to not be able to go to the bathroom with the uh, the machine, the, the the dryer machine. Yes. Used to drive him nuts. He used to go crazy. But I took him every time, like, no, let's go, let's dry your hands. It's gonna be okay. Now he wants to dry his hands there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can you can gain that effectiveness when it comes to their ability to to um tolerate things through that exposure. I, I learned that with the early intervention. They they just kept putting his hands in like sand and stuff. And I'm like, he hates that stuff. And they're like, no, but this is how you make him not hate it. You got to keep, and I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But I, I got to say, you're blessed that your son is, is verbal. That is one of the biggest things that kills me every day is having my son be relatively verbal. Like he can man, he can ask you for things, but that conversational piece ain't there yet. Yeah. And he's, he's still, you know, he's six, he's got some time to still grow. And I, I could see him expanding a little bit, mm -hmm. but a lot of echolalia, a lot of, um, you know, kind of stemming with repeating the same things or songs and stuff like that. So 
uh, like, do you, do you think that you're just lucky? Was there something that you did to, to, to really get that verbal aspect out of your son? Um, I wouldn't say that I'm lucky. I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of talking to him and I'm not saying that this is the answer. So please don't, I, I did a lot of talking to him when he was younger, like with two and three, I did a lot of talking, a lot of reading, a lot of praying, um, therapy, a lot of therapy. Um, I, I had even started the Abeka curriculum with him. I would sing a lot of songs, read a lot of books, try some sign language. I just did a lot. I just kept talking, 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 talking. I would post stuff like signs up things around the house, words to help him with vocabulary. I would do all of those things to help him and get him to a place where he could start using his words. Mm. Yeah. Because even now at eight years old, sometimes he doesn't use his words. Sometimes he just, mm, mm. and I'm like, dude, use your words, dude. I say, you can talk now, use your words. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. That, that consistency is something that I know is a challenge for everybody. But the fact that you at least get the chance to hear it, I think is a blessing. And, I, and I'm hoping that you, that our listeners, myself included, can have a day where we can have that conversation with our son, where we can actually know what they're feeling and, and, and what they're thinking. Because even when he's hurting or something is bothering him, you got to try and find a way to pull out exactly what the issue is by asking the question the right way so he knows how to respond in a way that's appropriate. Because if you just say what's wrong, he'll just repeat what's wrong, <laughs> you know? There's a movie, um, oh my goodness, it's, it escapes me, um, where the girl turns blue. And it's about zones of proximity, um, getting kids to talk about how they feel. And I cannot think of the name of that movie right now, forgive me. But um, I, I would just watch a lot of stuff that would generate his interest. Mm -hmm. And I just continued to talk to my son, just talk, 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 talk. And so he would talk back to me. I mean, it was a, it was a slow pace and it was, you know, words, but <clears throat> I just talked. Well, take that advice. I mean, I, I know he's, it's funny. You, you look at your son and probably in your little vacuum, like, oh man, he, he, he's not talking the way he should. And we, we got to get some more out of him. I look at my son and I look at your son. And I'm like, man, I wish he could be like your son. And I'm sure there's other kids around the same age. And they look at my son. And I'm like, wow, you're so lucky that he even does that. It's because the spectrum yes. is so different depending on, on your situation. And then when and then when they do do something, you make such a big deal about it that it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you celebrate it with with just like, you celebrate it because I'm gonna tell you something. I I truly believe in my heart that children on the spectrum or children that have special needs in general, they have what you would call a sixth sense. They know when you don't like something when you when you're not very pleased with them about certain things. Um, they are just. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have an instant burning. It's really getting to me. Um, <laughs> I want people to think I got COVID going on. Here. <laughs> they can't catch it over the microphone. It's all good. Um, just celebrating who they are. And they have that sense when they know when you care, when you don't care. It's kind of, <laughs> I'm sorry, brother, but I got to find, Anaya, where's that in? Um, but they're very sensitive children and they sense when they're not, 
when they're not loved, when we when we when we are when we're sad, when they feel like they're not loved, the key I think is if the key is them trusting you. They gotta feel like they can trust you, mm-hmm. that you won't give up on them, mm-hmm. and and that's very real because my son, you know, he may have his moments where he. <clears throat> will doubt himself. Like, mommy, do you think I'm smart? Or mommy, do you love me? Um, mommy, do you like me? So it's, and that's a lot of that self-esteem thing because he recognizes that he has autism. Cause he yeah. has to say like, mommy, why did God make me with autism? I said, God didn't make you with autism. I said, you are very, can you go check to see what that is? I said, you are very, um, you're a very special child and there's nothing wrong with you. He was like, mommy, why did God make me this way? Is the, was God mad at me? I said, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a very special child. And so I think they're very, they're very sensitive to a lot of different things. And self-aware, more self-aware than, than, than maybe we recognize. That's, that they are. that's a blind spot. And, and I know that for sure, I feel guilty in particular because I know that my son works very well when you give him an incentive to do something. If you blank, then you get blank. It's very transactional. So what I am acutely aware of is if I tell him he'll get something if he does something and I don't do it and I'm like, ah, I I can't. Like I'll tell him he'll go to the merry-go-round or we'll go to the mall or, or whatever his thing that he likes. And then he does the thing and I'm like, ah, I'm tired or no, we'll go tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, even though like he's such a docile and sweet kid, he's not going to throw a tantrum or anything. He'll just be like, okay, tomorrow, daddy. And I'm like, yes, tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't, I don't want him to ever lose that faith that if daddy says something, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yes, that that's important. And I think that especially in, in our culture, when we think a child doesn't understand, we take advantage of that. And we are very loose with our words and, and our emotions around our kids. And we sometimes, like you don't, and thankfully you don't, we sometimes put a lot of our own feelings of negativity into them because we, we feel like, oh, they don't understand. I just need someone to get this out on. And uh, it's probably magnified for a lot of people when you have a kid with special needs who is not as verbal as maybe another kid. Like, oh, he doesn't even understand. Like, he'll get over it and stuff like that. Like, that's that's something these kids are aware of. And I think that even if they don't show it, maybe as much as like a typical child, mm-hmm. they know and they feel that. Well, I, I will tell you because <clears throat> I have had to um, count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten. Mm-hmm. Walk out of the room, go into another room, sit down, and just keep myself calm. I've had to walk out of the room, walk out of the door, sit on the porch, walk up the block, come back in. Um, because I had to learn that you cannot discipline a child with special needs the same way you discipline a child that does not have special needs. And Sometimes we are our parents' children. We mm-hmm. want to discipline mm-hmm. our children the way that our parents discipline us. And it doesn't work with children with special needs. And so I've had to learn how to hold my tongue and not say 
what I'm initially thinking because I know how my son will react. Am I perfect? No, but sometimes I'm sometimes I'm I'm like my jar is running <laughs> over and it just comes out. Yeah. And then I have to retract it. I mean, my son has told me, you don't love me, I hate you, I'm gonna run away, all, all these things. All these things. And I feel sometimes I feel really bad because I'm like, ah, oh, because people, you shouldn't have said that or you should have done it differently. But it's like, again, we're not perfect parents. And it's that place where you just like, you know what, I'm just tired. I'm yeah. just tired. And I just, I just think that we just need to be real about how we feel and the struggle it is to raise a child with special needs. You talk about just a child just in general, but then you add on top of that a child with special needs. It's, it's a challenge within itself. Tell me about it. I mean, and you spoke about the self-care element about things. So why don't you share with everyone what you have employed as your self-care and who maybe your spiritual guide is if you have one and um, how you found them so that uh, we can give people that resource. Well, for me, for my self-care, I would say go to my website called I, I Choose Me. Okay, put that plug. <laughs> um, my self-care is basically when my son when my son is sleeping, my downtime, if, if there's a book that I've been wanting to read, and I know it sounds corny, but that's what I like to do. If there's a book that I want to read, uh, Anaya, it's too noisy. If there's a book that I want to read, if there is uh, a movie that I want to see, my downtown is when my son is sleeping. And I think what happens is that for most of us, when our kids are quiet and we have that, we start cleaning up the house, you have to stop, stop and take that time and spend that time on yourself. And so I don't do any dishes. I don't do nothing. I will read a book. I will watch a movie. Um, I'll work on the manuscript because I'm working on a book. I, I, I will do things that will make me happy. Check my email, get on the phone with my girlfriend all the while when my son is asleep. Um, my spiritual guidance, I try to have daily affirmations, say daily affirmations to myself or put stuff on a sticky or write in my journal. Um, I don't really, I don't really um, subscribe to any religious beliefs. I just be, I believe in God. So I'll read the Quran, the Torah, the Bible. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I read whatever I need to read to give me the inspiration I need to get me the next day. Um, and I just, you know, I just try to keep it real. I just try to keep it 100. I don't pretend that I got it going on. I mean, right now we're displaced. I have no job right now. And so I chuckled because it's like, I got all this education. I can't find a job. That's crazy. Yeah. And so it's like, I just try to, you know, do what I need to do to just take care of me. And when my son, um, like I said, when he sleeps, that's when I do me. The challenge in all of this is because he's an only child, it's always myself and my son. It's always Johans and mommy. And so that's what's hard because it's like, mommy, play the video game with me. Mommy, do this, mommy. And I'm like, ooh, can you just give me five minutes? <laughs> and it doesn't always happen that way. So I have to find my time when he's sleeping. You know, um, I just recently, now I'm, this is month three, I just recently became a pescatarian. And that's, um, um, I just only eat fish. I don't do any dairy. Um, I don't do any sugar. I don't do any of that. And that, again, that goes back to taking care of yourself. And I'm not saying everybody has to do, be a pescatarian or a vegetarian, but what I am saying is that when you have children with special needs, you have to really be mindful of what you're putting in your body. Because what happens is the stress will cause you to overeat 
and it will cause you to eat stuff that is not good for you. Okay? Reach. <laughs> I, I, baby, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife talks about that all the time. All yeah. the time. So that, and so for me, I, I, that, that's what I've done for myself. Um, I'll do a smoothie in the morning. I usually try to eat only um, one meal a day. So I'll do a smoothie in the morning and then the afternoon, um, I'll do some type of uh, tofu or some type of spaghetti squash or some type of plant-based burger. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, but what I am saying is that in order to deal with children that have special needs, your diet or your lifestyle, not a diet, needs to be very much in order. Lots of water, um, uh, lots of juicing, you, you have to. Because what that does, it provides a balance for you. Like every morning, I throw some sea moss in my smoothie. Mm -hmm. I'll do that sea moss, blend it up, fresh vegetables or whatever I do. Because I realize that in order for me to handle my child, I need to be on my game. My mind needs to be sharp. I can't be depressed. I can't be low energy. I gotta be sharp because if I'm not, then I'm not able to interact with him in a proper way. And so that's what I do for me in terms of self-regimen and making sure that I do what I need to do. Um, my son doesn't eat like that because his taste buds are off. He's a picky eater. And so I try to model it by eating a salad or eating stuff in front of him and say, yeah, Johan's trying this. He's like, no, look, that's nasty. I don't want it. So I'm just like, so when he eats, I just give him whatever he wants to eat. I'll just allow him to eat it. If he wants to eat 50 bags of seaweed, Go ahead and eat 50 bags of seaweed. If he wants to eat pizza all day, eat. Because the thing is, he's eating. And it may not be the most um, nutritious, <laughs> but he's eating. Um, because he doesn't eat. He doesn't eat. He's very thin. Um, he's very much a picky eater. And so it's important for me to not say, well, no, you can't have pizza. You had pizza last night. I'm like, okay, you want pizza again tonight? Okay, eat. Because that's one thing about um, children that are on the spectrum. Um, they... Their, their diet is very off and a lot of people try to force kids that are on the spectrum to eat things that normal kids with so-called normal kids eat is not the same they're wired very differently they're very and i had to learn it i had to read books talk to pediatricians to learn that in order that you know, so that i wouldn't be stressing myself out because my son is not eating yeah. you know yeah but take, I know that's big yeah it is big it is big it is big but I think that's that whole self-care piece is very important um, for parents with children with special needs. You've got your diet, your lifestyle, I hate to say diet, but what you eat has to be very important in order for you to, to survive. Oh, that's, that's huge. I'm so happy that you said that because I think that in our household, that's a constant give and take and a back and forth as far as what we got to do. We got, we got two kids with special needs. One's epileptic. They say he should be on a ketone diet. Obviously, our autistic son, they say that, you know, gluten-free, casein-free as much as possible, um, stay away from the sugars and the processed foods. And um, our daughter, our youngest, she has like eczema. Eczema is also considered to be something that is made worse depending on your diet. Um, I was born with GI issues. My wife has like these other things. That it's like every one of us could benefit from a special diet. And I talked to about, I'm like, yo, why don't we just all get on a special diet or lifestyle that represents the benefits that we all can get. I think my my youngest son is probably gonna push us to it the most because he sends the benefit the most. There's the most science behind the epilepsy and the, and the special yeah. diet with that. So that's more of like a, 
listen, this ain't on some, hey, you know, gluten-free will cure autism kind of nonsense that obviously isn't true. So, but when it comes to that, there, there's a lot more science. So now if we empathetically embark on that journey with the youngest son, mm-hmm. perhaps everyone benefits as a result. So I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I definitely feel like I was falling into a, a depression for sure before I decided to like really take control of my, my diet, my lifestyle, exercising, starting this um, venture into the podcasting and interviewing other parents who I felt like I, I just felt that that little cocoon you talked about, it was getting too tight. I was like, I got, I gotta, I gotta stretch out. <laughs> like I, 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 I'm dying in this cocoon. I need to feel that connection with other people. And then when you're in the COVID and all, and I was like, Mr. Mom, because my wife's a nurse. So I was out of work for three months and I was with, just with these kids all day, every day, just struggling. So that is definitely something that helped me push to be like, yeah. all right, I got to take care of myself because I'm realizing I, I'm falling in a hole here. My life can't just be working these kids. I got to have something for kids. me. You can get the kids involved. You can get to bring the kids in the kitchen. All right, psych them up. You know, play psychology. All right, we're going to make a smoothie. You, you go in the refrigerator, get the strawberries. Let Like have a day where they can fix something, you know, that's mm-hmm. nutrition. And then everybody, let's go to the park. We all going to exercise. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mindset. You really have to change the way that you think when you have children that have um, special needs, you have to begin to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. It's just, a, it's just a different way that we have to live now. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that you can't do some of the things or accomplish some of the things that you want or the dreams. It's just that you have to do it differently. Because I think, I know that when you have a child with special needs, you kind of feel like it's a handicap. I can't do nothing now and I can't go nowhere, but that's not true. That's not true. It's, it's all in how you think it's a mindset because the kids pick up on our energy. They pick up on it and how we feel and what we do. But that's what I had to do because uh, t- trust me, brother, I was just like, and then I said, Kefila, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> but, uh, you got to change. Yeah, you get a moment of clarity. Yeah, the clarity. Because he's because you know that we are their first teachers, so they seeing us eat that McDonald's and eat all. They're like, wait a minute, they seeing us eat that, and then they think that that's that's a normal way of of of, of eating. Well, that's those are good eating habits. But now my son see me doing that sea moss. He see me doing that black seed oil and flaxseed seed oil and and fish and this. He's like, woo, mommy. And I said, try it, try it. No, I don't want that. I'm like, it's good for you. It's good for you. Then they say, mommy, I see you're losing a lot of weight, mommy. I said, well, thank you. Like, <laughs> hey, and then maybe you'd be like, let me try that smoothie, mommy. And then boom, you got him. Then you got him. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I thank you for saying that. Now, let me ask you a, a, a controversial question before we wrap up this interview now. Okay. We talked about the gluten-free, casein-free. Uh-huh. You know, stories say that that tends to help kids, and maybe it does, and some people have varying results. What is your thoughts about the vaccine type of thing that they've been saying about autism? Like, have you, you, you say you're in a group. Has yeah, anyone yeah. in that group told you that they had a reaction or they had a kind of situation where they was like, yo, it was this before the vaccine, and then it was that after? And um, if you had that experience, share that with people and let us know what you think. You're an educator and I think we can, you know, use your word as a little bit of guidance as to what to think and what perhaps might be too much. Brother, it's so controversial because controversial because 
you got some some research says that it that the vaccines do, and then you got others that say that it doesn't. I don't think is there any. <clears throat> I don't think there's any definitive answer to your question, but I will tell you this: when my son was born, I was reluctant to get him vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I did not um, want to do that, and because I had my own issues around vaccinating children. But then I began to see like these outbreaks taking over the country, like in part, like in the, the small Jewish community. Um, I think it was the Hasidic Jews in New York a couple years ago. Yeah, Kids weren't being vaccinated yet and they started breaking out. Then you had a group in Connecticut. And I was like, wait a minute, kids are not being vaccinated. So these, these breaks, these kids are breaking out all over the country or you have these communities. And so I wasn't really sure. And in all honesty, I was afraid. I didn't really know what to do. Mm. Um, and so I vaccinated my son. And then it just seemed like by the time he hit three, I started seeing things. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I just don't know. I, have, I really have mixed emotions about it because prior to the vaccination, it was like, mm, and then after three, I mean, he just would just have these rages and outbursts and meltdowns and just off the charts. And I just was like, what the heck? I didn't know what to think of it. Like right now, I am in a place where I don't know about a COVID vaccination for my son because oh. he's in that special group. Yeah. I don't know yeah. about that. I'm like, I don't know about that one. That's that's a whole nother level. Like, yeah, that's right there. There's so much politics <laughs> with that one. That's a whole nother level. I, I would say my biggest thing with the vaccine and my biggest concern is when you mandate something that someone benefits financially from, I have a concern. I have a concern. If, if the vaccine was this altruistic thing that there was a not-for-profit company just here's it, here it is, the government pays for it, you don't need insurance, everyone gets a vaccine because we just think this is for the benefit of humanity. Mm -hmm. I think I could deal with that more. I think that would be like, all right, look, there's no, there's no big man in a suit that's benefiting from this. So I don't have to worry about quality control or that making sure the volume of vaccines that my kid gets is not you know, basically making somebody richer, so to speak. Yeah. So because I'm in the medical field, I really, I really understand the trade and the commerce of medicine. And really when you're not doing an actual physical activity, how much money you make from the comeback, so to speak. So yeah. when you are only giving just smallpox and, you know, whatever other random two or three vaccines we got as kids, and now it's like triple the amount no. It, it, if you don't pause and question it, then I don't know what you're doing because it's just not a natural evolution of things. It's exponential in barely a generation. How do we get so many more of this? It's not like we were dying in the 90s and 80s of these preventable diseases. It, that, that wasn't the case. That was like HIV and stuff. The, these things were things you caught from your activity, not from just the air and just being amongst other people. 
But now, like, I remember I used to tell my friends, it used to be like this, uh, this, this, um, this, this moment of uh, like uh, adolescence or, or you knew that you reached a certain point when we all got chicken pox. Yes. It would just stole us all in the room, all your cousins. Exactly, exactly. We'd all have chicken. It would be fun. It would, it would, it would like, don't scratch, don't scratch it. Don't oh, you put the pink lotion and everything. It was, it was, it was a yes. fun thing I remembered about childhood. And I'm not saying I wish my kids could have chicken pox, exactly. but it's not something that I necessarily thought needed like some prevention that now I'm going to inject my kids with so they don't get this thing because most of it wasn't dangerous. Yeah. So that's my concern. I don't know what it does. I can't say if it does or doesn't do anything, but I do know that it's, it's, it, it's increased a lot and someone's making money out of it. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put a, an eyebrow up when they're saying, Hey, for your kid to go to school, you need 20 of these vaccines before it. Why? <laughs> like, like why are you mandating it for something that if my kid doesn't go to school, then it's truancy. So it's basically, I have to do this. And that's where I'm like, hmm. So that's not true because it depends on what state you live in, what county you live in. Um, that's and what they're doing. They're suing. They're suing. Mm -hmm. they're, suing. They're, they're removing the laws to allow you to be exempt because of the things you just referenced, because of those Hasidic Jews in those communities that allowed those outbreaks to occur and they were allowed to send their kids to school due to religious exemptions. They're now trying to remove those exemptions so that you don't have a reason to say I'm not vaccinating anymore. So, you know, I, I, I believe in the, in the science of the vaccination. I am concerned about the amount <laughs> and the volume of it. Yeah. Sure. That scares me. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. you even look at the, the rates of autism and how it's increased. It's increased exponentially in the last 20, 30 years. It's true. also increased. The amount of vaccinations and the amount of processed foods and the the amount of like you know food that we're giving like the animals as far as they're eating it, nothing was organic before because it wasn't necessary you didn't have to specify <laughs> you know what i mean right. a lot of these things have been within the last 20 30 years yeah, that's true because i don't give my son um any um like he'll do goat milk um, I was checking out this, this, this sister, she was doing some research in Turkey, and I, I don't know how valid this, this is, you might want to check it out, where camel milk, actual camel milk, which is like $200, um, helped her son with um, um, autism. It didn't cure him from autism, it just helped him deal um, with uh, more social issues and helped him function better, helped him sleep at night. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I took my son off of cow milk a long time ago and I give Us him too. goat milk now. Yeah, goat yeah we, milk, we, goat, we goat give goat the nut milks. Milk. Yeah, yeah. So do you get like um, goat milk from a, from a farm or do you buy a certain brand? We, um, I just go to like maybe Whole Foods or, uh, or uh, Sprouts or Trader Joe's and I buy it that way. Um, if I buy him some apple juice, it's generally organic apple juice. I buy organic blueberries, strawberries. I just buy a lot of stuff because he likes blueberries and strawberries. So I buy a lot of stuff that is um, organic based. He likes pizza, but I have not been able to get him to eat that organic pizza. He's just like, mommy, it, it tastes different. It's just different. And so because his taste buds are so sensitive, I'm like, I can't get him to eat that cauliflower pizza with the just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the crust is like yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough yeah transition. Because it's eczema, that gluten and 
and he breaks out really bad when he eats that stuff. But I'm like, Ugh. um, but yeah, I try to buy a lot of organic stuff that will help control his eczema and help control his um, mood because. You know, when kids are diagnosed with, uh, at least in my son's case, when he was diagnosed with um, autism, he was also diagnosed with ADHD because they're now saying that autism is just not something that is singular. It is usually comes with another diagnosis as well, autism and ADHD or autism and, um, you know, dyslexia, OCD. OCD. Mm -hmm. It's just like a combination of things. And so I, I really think that and this just is my humble opinion. I think those of us that have children that are um, on the spectrum and that have needs, we really have to begin to think differently about um, what our children are eating. And that's not a judgment on anyone. I just think it's because we have a, a, these children that are so special, we need to be very mindful about what they're eating. And, and try, you know, and, and try to get them to eat the organic stuff. And trust me, it's expensive. I get it. I get it. And so that's, that's why I say it's not a judgment because everybody can't afford to do that. And I understand that. Um, but I think if you, you know, I was in the grocery store and a, and a thing of organic blueberries was like $4. That's a lot. Yeah, It really is. So keeping that in mind, maybe we need to get to a point where we start growing our own stuff in our own homes because our parents had it. They had the little things, windowsill beds, yep. their little herbs, and then they would grow that stuff. And so maybe at some point we just start getting pots and dirt put in our home and we grow our stuff, you know, because it's, it really is about taking care of our babies and taking care of our community. And so maybe we have to get to that point where we can't afford to do that. Yeah. Or or buy from black farmers, brothers that are doing the organic movement, buy from the black farmers. That's another movement. I was checking out a brother on TikTok and he was talking about all these herbs and berries. You can use this for this and use this for eczema, use this. For, and I was just like, wow, the knowledge that's, that's out there in terms of what we can now do to improve our lifestyle and to be mindful of what we eat and what we put in our body. I'm, I'm a big follower and I'm not putting a... Um, a sale into this because everybody's different. I'm gonna say, but I'm a big follower of Dr. Sadie. I read his yeah. book. Mm -hmm. I look at what he says to eat and not eat. I'm a big follower of that because I think that there's some benefits to eating a highly alkaline um, diet or, or foods. I mean, your body is already alkaline, but I think there's some benefits to doing that. You, For me personally, you feel lighter, you operate very differently. And I know that everybody can do it, but I think you can take one small step and move in that direction because you cannot, um, you cannot binge eat and have a poor diet when you have children with special needs. You cannot, because you're not able to function. You're not thinking properly. Your mind is clouded, you're emotional, all that. And I had to learn that the hard way. And I'm only speaking from experience. So this is no judgment on anybody, you know, so. No, it can't be. And uh, and I think that's a great way to segue to our final question, because it definitely sounds like you giving that testimony. But um, what would you say would be your biggest advice? Say, for example, someone just found out, especially someone in the black community, they just found out their two or three year old son or daughter had autism and they came up to you and they're like, hey, what do I do? What's what's the next step? What What, what can I expect? Give me something because I'm struggling right now and I need to know what to expect next. I would say 
I would say read everything you can get your hands on. Mm. Um, I would also say don't take the advice of the first doctor that you see. Um, I would also say question the medications that they're wanting to put your quote unquote hyperactivity, hyperactive or ADHD child or autistic child on because I've met sisters, they talk, oh, my doctor gave my child this because my child wouldn't go to sleep. Let's try some chamomile tea. Let's try a lavender bath and some of them drugs. That's just me. I had to learn the hard way because I was there. I was going, my child wouldn't sleep. But then I quickly learned that, oh, if you get some lavender in a warm bath and rub, give that baby a warm bath with some lavender, rub that baby, knock that child out every time. Mm -hmm. We got melanin in our skin or get some melatonin. With the synthetic drugs, I'm not, I'm just not a big proponent of that when it comes to children, um, our children, I should say. So I would say read a second opinion from a doctor. Um, I wouldn't be quick to put my child on some medication unless my child has some extreme behaviors that are violent to the point that you need medication to bring them back baseline. But even with that, I would I would look at what my child is eating and try to get an understanding of what the triggers are. Um, and then finally, I would just say, be patient with yourself. Um, forgive yourself, heal yourself and love yourself and don't feel like, you know, as a parent that you've done something wrong or that, you know, this is a curse because I heard that one too. You're cursed. You got a child. You, yeah. know, you know, so I would just, that would be it for me. Um, because even now, it's like every day I'm learning with this COVID-19 situation, with us being basically homeless, I feel some type of way because children with special needs need stability. Mm -hmm. They need stability and, and, and consistency. And so those are things I would say, brother, I would say read, get a second opinion from doctors, be mindful of the medications and love yourself and be patient with yourself. That's what I would say. Got to. That, that that sage advice, sage advice. I thank you so much for, for joining us today. And I, I want to tell um, everyone again, this is Dr. Kafila Malik. She she has her, her book that hopefully will be coming out soon. And um, maybe when, when you finally publish it, we'll, we'll do another interview so you could talk about the book and we can do some promo on that. You could talk about some of the, the co-authors of the book and their stories perhaps give us some references to maybe some of the other people see if they'd like to also share their stories on our platform exactly. and continue to get the word out there as far as what it is that we are dealing with on some real stuff, what it is that we can expect on some real stuff and, and who you can go to in our community to get that guidance and advice because you're not alone because alone. you will feel that way if you allow yourself to sequester into that cocoon like you said. So again, thank you so much. I wanna send love and positivity to all the Goldies out there. We know what you're feeling. We know what you're going through. We are you. This is the Goldilocks Podcast. Thank you for listening.